Um, it started um, about 24 years ago. I got a, a call from a man in England. This was during the war in Bosnia. And he called me and he said, uh, Brother Graham, he said, we're taking some gifts to children in Bosnia. And we want to know if you would like to be like our North American partner. That's kind of hard to say no to helping children in, in a war. I said, you know, we'd be glad to do it. Uh, absolutely. Well, this was July. Well, I'm not, I'm not thinking about Christmas in July too much. So uh, we, um, I'm sure within a few days I forgot all about it. And I know that when December came along, I had absolutely forgotten it because my secretary came to the office and she had this look on her face. And I'd seen it before. It's kind of like you're in trouble look. And I said, what? What did I do? She said, do you remember that guy in England? I said, what guy in England? That guy you promised shoebox gifts to. Oh, yeah. Well, he's on the phone. So I get on the phone and... Um, he said, Brother Graham, he said, I'm just call it to see how many boxes you have collected. I said, listen, call me next week. We're still working on it. <laughs> I called one church. Uh, it was Calvary Church in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. The pastor was on our, my board of directors. His name was Ross Rose. I said, Ross, I said, I'm in trouble. And I explained what we were getting ready to do. And we packed a shoebox for him and took it down and just asked him if he would take it and hold it up to his church and unpack it and then pack it back and ask people just to bring a box next Sunday. Well, 11,000 boxes came in. Um, I had, um, he called me on Monday. He said, Franklin, you need to come down here and get these boxes. He said, um, and if you could come today, it would really be good. I said, okay, but what's the rush? He said, well, there are, he said, they're in the way. He said, they're in the foyer, they're in the hall. Uh, matter of fact, they're in our, our, our chapel. We can't even use that. We need you to come get these boxes. And uh, so I called the man in England, and he was just thrilled. He thought we'd get a couple thousand boxes. I did, too. I, did, I, I would have been happy if we'd gotten a thousand boxes. But 11,000 that first year, and we took them to Bosnia and handed them out. Now... Um, there was nothing Christian about it. It was just we were Christians giving out a gift to children. And there, was, there wasn't any attempt to reach these children with the gospel. And um, so we decided to do it the next year. Well, it, it got very expensive. We had three, three churches helping us that year, and we had about 28,000 boxes out of three churches. And just the handling of the boxes uh, got to be a, a problem, and we didn't know how to do it properly, and... Uh, we ended up going uh, in debt quite a bit on that project. And I thought, I don't like this. I mean, it, it, it took us months to work our way out of it. Uh, then the third year, the man in England said, we, we're not doing this anymore. We can, it's killing us. <laughs> killing you, it's killing me. Uh, he said, but I think you ought to go ahead and just keep doing it. We got our guys together, and we just said, you know, just putting a smile on, the, on children's faces, okay, that's fine, but, but what is that really doing? If we can make an effort to try to reach every child that we give a gift to and, and communicate the gospel to them, we want the children of the world to know that there is a God, okay? We want them to know that God sent his son from heaven to this earth to take our sins, that he died on a cross for our sins. He shed his blood on the cross for our sins. He took our sins to the grave where he was buried for our sins, 
and that he was raised to life on the third day by Almighty God. We want the children of the world to know that, okay? Well, we got together. We prayed about it. We said, okay, we'll try one more year, but we're going to make it now an evangelistic program. And uh, we have not uh, been in debt one time. Uh, God has uh, given everything that we need, not only to take the boxes to the various countries that we go, over 110 countries this year, uh, it will be a little over um, 11 million boxes that we'll collect. And every, every box, we present the gospel. And so I want to thank, and you, know, you say 11 million, well, you don't need my box. Yeah, I do. Uh, every box is an opportunity to touch a child, okay? So if we have 20 million boxes, that's 20 million children we could reach with the gospel. This year... 11 million is the target, and we're, we're, we'll, um, we'll make that. And so it's an opportunity for evangelism, but we just don't stop there. We've now developed a discipleship program, okay? And the discipleship program is a 12-week discipleship program. The, the kids actually go to the local church. They have a 12-week course. We provide the literature, and um, this, this past year we had over 3 million uh, children in a 12-week discipleship program, next year we'll have close to 4 million children in a discipleship program. That's 12 weeks of discipleship. And this, uh, so far we've had over 3 million children in the last three years that have made a decision for Christ in that 12-week discipleship program. So it's all about taking the gospel and, and reaching children. And the children that go through the discipleship program, we, they have to memorize scripture. And uh, we, we teach them verses that help them in sharing their faith. We want to rise, raise up an army of kids around the world that know how to share their faith in Christ. Because I believe if a child is a soul winner when he's 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years of age, they'll be a soul winner for the rest of their life. And uh, that's what we're wanting to do is to raise up an army of kids. Um, just a... a couple of stories I'd like to share with you. Of um, One was um, a little um, boy up in Montana. Uh, this was about 13 years ago. Packed a shoebox. I asked people to pray when you pack a box because I don't know where your box is going, but God does, okay? I want people to pray for the child that's going to get that box. I also ask people, uh, put your picture in there. I want the child to see who gets the box, who gave the box, okay? I want them to see that. And if you want, put your address in there. Maybe the child will write you back. Well, this little boy in Montana, uh, and he put his picture in there, and he had his cowboy hat on, had a lariat in his hand, you know, those cowboy ropes. And he had cowboy boots with his pants stuck down in his cowboy boots. And uh, he put his picture in the box, and it was mailed off. Well, a little girl in, in the Philippines got his box, and um, she was so happy to get the box, and it, it meant so much to her, and she was just fascinated by this guy with a cowboy hat on, and so there was his address, so she wrote him. Well, he never got the letter, of course, um, she never heard from him, but later on, the, her father and the whole family came to faith in Christ, all as a result of that gift that came from the church for that shoebox and the church reaching out to the family, the whole family uh, was saved. Uh, 
Well, she wanted that little boy who gave the box to know the impact that box had on her life. Well, the letters not, never got through. And then came Facebook. Hmm. <laughs> so she does a search. And sure enough, there was one boy by that name in that little town of Montana. So she sent a message wanting to be his friend. Well, here he is in Montana, and here's this girl in the Philippines <laughs> wanting to be his friend. Hmm, what's that all about? Well, so he hits accept, and they begin to communicate. Well, they, they communicated, and uh, then they started getting phone calls with each other. He saved up his money uh, two years later so he could go meet her. And when he met her, it was love at first sight. They, uh, they got married last year in Montana, and they came through where our headquarters is, is in Boone, North Carolina. They came through Boone, North Carolina on their honeymoon uh, to, to tell us what God had, has done in their life and how that shoebox brought them together. Uh, I had a little boy a few years ago got, um, got a box. And he was an orphan. His parents had been killed. And um, so when they distributed the box and put the box down in front of him, he kind of pushed it away. And so one of the ladies at the orphanage saw that, you know, he wasn't very interested in the gift and said, don't you want to see what's inside the box? No. Well, some, some people who love you very much have packed that box for you, and, and it's a gift for you. Don't you want to see? No, I want parents. I don't want a box. Well, we don't have any parents. <laughs> But um, I know the people that gave this box love you and, and would want you to, to, to enjoy what they've packed for you. Let's, let's open it up and just take a peek, okay? Okay. So they opened the lid, and there was this, you know, some toys, and he picked them out, and he picked out this one and put it down and didn't show much interest. But at the very bottom was a picture, <laughs> and it was a picture of this couple and, uh, that had given the box. And so the lady said, would you like to write a thank you note? And just say thank you to this couple for giving you this wonderful present. He goes, okay. Yeah. So she helped him write out this note. Well, the couple that got the uh, letter, you know, about three or four weeks later, they were so excited, so thrilled that uh, their box ended up in the hands of this little boy and that he was able to write and to say thank you. And they immediately fire off a letter back to him. And uh, so about a month later, he gets, another, gets a letter. And he was just so excited that he got a letter. He'd never had a letter before. It was his very first letter. So, um, well, remember he didn't want the box. He wanted parents. Well, guess what? That's right. God put the parents in that box. And uh, about nine months later... About nine months later, uh, they went over to meet him, and they adopted him, and he came back. And uh, we've had many people to, uh, now that have gotten boxes. Uh, I was in Albuquerque, New Mexico, a, a few years back, and, and I was collecting shoeboxes on a Sunday, and, um, and I was in the pastor's office. They had three services, so I was back in his office between services, and uh, a girl came to the office, and um, she called me Mr. Graham. Well, I knew she wasn't from Albuquerque. So I said, um, I said yes. And she said, uh, Mr. Graham, she said, I have a, a box. And her little hands were, were trembling. 
She said, I have a box. She said, would you take this for me? Sure, I'd be glad to. And I took her box and she said, Mr. Graham, she said, um, 10 years ago, I was an orphan in Bosnia. It was very cold winter and we heard that some Americans were coming for gifts for children. And we were so excited and, but they didn't come that day. And the next day we were watching and looking, but they didn't come. But at the end of the week, Mr. Graham, you came. You came to our refugee camp. And I remember when I got my box, um, we hadn't bathed for months because it was so cold. And we had no hot water. And so every, our clothes smelled stale. Everything we had just smelled stale. And she said, I remember when I opened up my box, she said, everything was so clean. She said, there was a pair of gloves. There was a, there was a, a wool hat. There was a doll. And I held that doll. And she said, Mr. Graham, I still have the doll. <laughs> she said, thank you. She said, I'm now living here in Albuquerque. I've been adopted. And I'm going to the University of New Mexico. And she said, I've got a job at Walmart. <laughs> and she, she said, I've packed my own box. Would you take this for me and give it to a girl like I was 10 years ago? And so we've had so many stories of, like that. And, you know, you, you can't organize that. God does that. And every, every year, people find Christ. Every year, people come to know Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on a cross for their sins, who was buried for their sins, who God raised to life. And so I want to thank you for being a part of that and uh, helping us with this great program. Never dreamed when that man from England called uh, and asked if we would be willing to send a few boxes to Bosnia, what, what God had in, in store, what he had planned. But uh, God has done it, so we give him the glory, we give him the praise. I want to, um, you know, things, we, we find ourselves sometimes in storms. And um, I think of the folks uh, here in Southern California, um, the gunman today that killed 14 people. And I think wounded, they don't, uh, I've heard various numbers, but wounded a number of people. And um, we find ourselves sometimes caught in storms, don't we? Um, something that we don't plan, all of a sudden something happens. And um, I want to look at a passage of Scripture th this evening. It's in Matthew chapter 8. And it's verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake. So that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went up and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Uh, Jesus gets into the boat. His disciples get in there with him. These are guys who are fishermen, okay? Uh, they're sailors. Uh, they know the sea. 
Uh, they've been on the Sea of Galilee all of their life. They've been in many storms. But all of a sudden, a storm comes up that is so ferocious. The waves are now crashing over the boat. They're taking on water. Of course, they're trying to bail it out. They're trying to do everything they can to save themselves, save the boat. But they've got to the point where they lost hope. They lost hope. The boat was going to sink, and they were in the middle of the lake, and they were going to perish. They didn't have any hope. And they go, you know, somebody must have said, wait a second. Jesus is in the boat. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's, yeah, he's here. And uh, they go back, and they wake him up. He's sleeping. Don't you care that we're about to drown? Don't you care that we're about to perish? Lord, save us. And the Bible, you know, the Bible warns you not to add to Scripture, okay? So I'm not adding to Scripture. I'm just kind of thinking maybe there might have been some other things he said. He might have said, like, what kind of stupid are you guys? <laughs> uh, he didn't say it's not in there, but he might have said that. <laughs> Don't you realize that I'm in this boat? Don't you realize that when I'm in your boat, the boat cannot sink? It will not sink. It can't happen. And he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves and it becomes instantly calm. It wasn't like the wind slowly began to subside. No, it was this ferocious storm and then all of a sudden, calm. So much so that it frightened these guys. What kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? They get in the boat and the storm comes up that they weren't counting on. Lost all hope. Afraid that they were going to drown, that they were going to perish. And they wake Jesus up and he says, oh, you have little faith. And he rebukes the wind and the waves. But all of us in life, we find ourselves in storms, don't we, from time to time. Maybe it's a health issue we find ourselves in. Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe it's an issue with one of our children. We find ourselves in a storm. I I was in Vietnam back in January. I had Greta Van Susteren with me. And uh, her husband, John Cole, was along. And we had lunch in Hanoi, and John was not feeling good. He said, I'm going to go back to the hotel. I said, well, Greta, I'm going to go up to our office. It's on the 38th floor of this building over here, and I haven't been up there, and they want me to meet the staff. I said, you want to go with me or you want to go back with John? No, I'll go with you. We'll go. Okay. So we go, and it looks like a real nice brand new apartment building until we get inside. We think, man, what a dump. <laughs> okay. Well, we get on the elevator, and as soon as we got on the elevator, the elevator kind of sagged a little bit. Hmm. Well, okay. Well, the door closes. And it's a little elevator, right? Greta Van Susteren is not a very big lady. She's kind of small. She's over there in the corner. And, and we're all packed in there. And the elevator gets up to about the 28th or 9th floor. 
and all of a sudden there is a bang, pop, boom, and the elevator shudders, and then it drops, whoop, and then it stops. Then it drops and whoop, and stops. And then it starts doing that. And so uh, Greta has her iPhone. So she starts uh, taking, well, Reverend Graham, where are we? I said, Greta, I said, we're in an elevator. <laughs> I said, but I want you to know that if this elevator goes down, I'm going up. <laughs> uh, but we find ourselves in situations that we don't expect. And uh, one of the ladies in the elevator with us, one of my staff, she began to pray. And um, one of the guys who runs my projects, he was at the door, so he pulls the doors open, all concrete and brick. Oh, boy. This is going to be a long deal here. Vietnam in a Chinese-made elevator. And, you know, the cable probably snapped or something, and it's barely hanging on with its brakes. And uh, this thing could drop any minute. Oh, boy. So we were sitting there thinking about, what are we going to do now? You know, the doors close. And you could just feel just a little vibration. I said, uh, his name's Kenny. I said, Kenny, pull them doors open again. Let's take a look. Pulled them open. This time there was a little bit of a gap. And we were like salmon. Uh, jump into that gap, getting out of that elevator. And um, so it turned out fine. But for all of us, when storms come, if we have given our life to Christ, and if we have trusted him as our Savior, and if we follow him as our Lord, we know what the outcome is, right? We know that one day this, these bodies of ours are going to fail. We know that. We know that one day our lives will come to an end. We know that. But we also know that we're going to go immediately into the presence of Almighty God. Our boats are not going to sink. We're going to be in His presence for eternity. But the, the key is, have we given our lives to Christ? Have we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior? Have we repented of our sins and turned from our sins? And have we believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? If we do that, He's in our boat. We don't have to worry. Whatever storms come down the road, you know, like that elevator, if it goes down, I'm going up. Why am I going up? Because I was 22 years old, I gave my life to Christ. I confessed my sins one night to God, I asked Him to forgive me, and by faith I believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that night God forgave me, not because I'm a good guy, I'm a sinner, but He forgave me because I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I gave him my life and I said, I'll follow you as my Lord for the rest of my life. And when I prayed that prayer, I meant it. And that night God forgave me. So I know that my elevator goes down, I'm going up. Because Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. He died on the cross for my sins. And God raised his son to life. And I invited him to come into my heart. Jesus Christ isn't dead. The tomb is empty. He's alive. And he'll come into each and every heart that is willing to accept him by faith and believe on his name. You know, our world is um, in a mess, isn't it? Um, I don't have much hope for our country. I'm sorry. 
I don't have any hope in the Democratic Party. I don't have any hope in the Republican Party. I don't have any hope in the Tea Party. Um, our country uh, is in trouble. It's, it's, uh, it has turned us back on God. And so I'm going to go start in January 5th to every state capitol to hold a prayer rally. And I would appreciate if you'd pray for me as we do that. We're going to the prayer rallies. And um, Nehemiah, when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem, he was a captive in Babylon. And when he heard that the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed, that the gates of the city had been burned with fire, he prayed. He prayed. And in his prayer, he confessed his sins. He confessed the sins of his father. He confessed the sins of his nation. And God heard his prayer. And God gave him favor with the king. And Nehemiah was able to go back to Jerusalem with a letter from the king giving him permission to rebuild the walls. And boy, did he get the opposition. Oh, yeah. They were going to attack him, to kill him. To, I mean, he had, he, had, he had his enemies. But God gave him favor. And God blessed him. And I thought for our country, if we can get the church, if we can get Christians to take a stand, let's confess our sins before God and ask for his forgiveness. And Christians need to take a stand. But Christians need to get out and vote. You know, we do have the opportunity to vote in this country. So we need to exercise it. I'm not going to tell anybody who to vote for. I'm not going to get behind any candidate, any party. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. But I want to encourage Christians to run for political office. You've got a mayor here. What would happen if all of our mayors in America were Christians? Do you think that would have an impact? Yes. yes. And let me ask you something else. What would happen if over the next two or three election cycles, evangelical Christians were the majority of the school boards of America? Yes. Think about that. And, and if that happened, think about the impact that that would have on our education in this country for the next 20 years. If, if we could just get Christians to get up, not only vote, but to pray about running for office and then living their biblical principles in office. It could have a huge impact. So I'm just going to go from state to state, having a prayer meeting, confessing our sins, asking God to forgive us and to heal our land and encouraging the church to take a stand. Um, you hear all kinds of numbers, like, 40 million evangelical Christians didn't vote last time. And I hear many people say, well, my vote doesn't count. Oh, really? Remember when George W. and Gore were running? Remember that? That, that came down to what? Hanging chads, whatever they were. <laughs> so don't tell me your votes don't matter. I mean, these elections aren't won or lost by millions of votes. It's just a handful. And sometimes it comes down just to a few precincts. Our country is in trouble. Uh, growing up, we all 
we all, I'm 63, so if you're kind of in my age group, we grew up under the red threat, thinking that Russia was coming, right? And I remember going to school and they had civil defense food, like these um, crackers and wafers that were packed in big tin, like five gallon buckets, and they had water stored down there. So if there was a nuclear war, we would practice hiding under our desk. That wouldn't really help, would it? <laughs> but we would do that. We'd get down under, well, there, the bombs are coming. We're safe under our desk. <laughs> but we lived under the red threat. And then here comes the wall coming down and uh, communism comes to an end. Uh, Russia uh, doesn't seem to be our enemy anymore or whatever, and we all just kind of sigh a big sigh of relief. Wow, we dodged that bullet, didn't we? But while we were relaxing, secularism began to creep up into our governments, the federal level, the state, our local level. Secularism and communism are one and the same. They're both godless, okay? Both of them are godless, and that's where we are today. We have relaxed, and secularism has come in and has infiltrated our government. And we're going to lose a lot of our freedoms. Uh, I was interesting. Um, I was in Russia just a few weeks ago, and I was meeting with the head of the Orthodox Church. Uh, he's a, the, the, called the Patriarch. And um, never met this guy before. His name's Patriarch Krill. Nice guy, very interesting guy. Um, and so we were talking about uh, just some of the issues. And, and I asked, I said, under communism, how many of your priests were killed? He said, all of them. Communists killed them all. He said, I can take you outside of Moscow and I can show you the graves. <clears throat> President Putin and the Russian government is giving back to churches property that they took under communism. Churches that they, they bulldoze down to the ground, they're building them back. And I'm, I'm talking about these are not little churches. These are big. They're giving that back to the, to the Baptists and Pentecostals as well as the Orthodox. Hmm. And the government is paying for the building of those churches. That wouldn't happen here in a million years, would it? So, you know, we, we listen to these reports, and sometimes they talk about how bad these other countries are, I think they may have, well, first of all, they're doing some things right. And so I met with Putin, and uh, President Putin. We had a, an interesting conversation about uh, some moral issues. And uh, I was surprised at how very strong he is on his convictions. And when you talk to him, he looks you right in the eye. And when you ask him a question, he answers your question. Uh, where a lot of politicians, if they think it's a, something that they aren't quite sure, they want to kind of answer this way and they'll answer that way. And, and by the time they finish answering, you're not quite sure what they said. Uh, <laughs> when Putin speaks, you don't have to wonder what he says. Uh, he speaks very clear. Um, but we're going to go over next year. We're going to hold a conference uh, in Russia on 
the church that's being persecuted around the world. And we're going to bring about a 1,500 delegates from around the world and uh, because the Russian church understands persecution. Uh, their churches were bulldozed to the ground. Their preachers and their priests were killed, were executed for their faith. They understand what it is to suffer. Uh, the church in the Middle East today, in Iraq and Syria, uh, Sudan, and you just all of the churches in the Muslim world are suffering. And uh, Christians are not only being persecuted, but they're being killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And we want to try to draw some world attention to that. So we'll be doing that next year. Um, there was a guy by the name of John Ors, a Romanian, and he was a preacher. And uh, John Ors uh, was speaking at a Mennonite biblical seminary, talking about what it was like under communism. He said, during communism, he said, many of us preached. And people came at the end of the service and said, I have decided to become a Christian. We told them that it is good that you want to become a Christian. But we would like to tell you that there will be a, a price to be paid. Why don't you reconsider what you want to do because many things can happen to you. You can lose, and you can lose big. John said that um, a high percentage of them chose to take part in a three-month class to better understand the decision that they were making. He said, at the end of the period, many participants declared their desire to be baptized. He said, I would respond, it's really nice that you want to become a Christian, but when you give your testimony, there will be informers in the church who will jot down your name. Tomorrow, the problems will start. Count the cost. Christianity is not easy. It's not cheap. You can be demoted. You can lose your job. You can lose your friends. You can lose your neighbors. You can lose your children. You might even lose your own life. He wanted the people to get to a place where following Jesus was so important to them that if they lost everything, it would still be worth it. We may see persecution like that one day in this country. I don't know. But it's, we're seeing every day a little bit of our freedoms taken away. So I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. My hope is in Jesus Christ. That's where my hope is. It's not in politicians. It's not in democracy. It's not into the American way, it's in Jesus Christ. Now, I love my country. I love it. I want to, I want to fight for, defend her. But my hope is not in my country. My country is not here. My country is in heaven. And that's where my citizenship is. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, Verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God. And for us Christians, we have a message that has Holy Spirit-filled power, okay? The gospel 
And the gospel is this. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. The gospel is that God sent Jesus Christ from heaven to this earth, that he took our sins on the cross, that he shed his blood for our sins, died on the cross, was buried for our sins, and God raised him to life. That's the gospel. That's it. And there's Holy Spirit-filled power in that message. Now, I cannot explain it. All I know is it works. And God uses that message to pierce hearts. And we have this wonderful good news that God loves sinners, that God is willing to forgive sin, and that Jesus Christ took our sins and died in our place, was raised from the grave. He's alive, he's in heaven, and he'll come into each and every heart that invites him. That's our hope. And I don't know if we'll have weeks left, if we have months left, if we have years left. I don't know. Doesn't matter. But our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords has given us a command. And that command is to go into the world and to take this message. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. We're under orders. Um, there was a Japanese soldier uh, on Lubang Island in the Philippines. And he was a young lieutenant at the end of the close of the Second World War. And his commanding officer came to him. Uh, Hiro Onoda was the soldier's name. And his commanding officer came to Hiro Onoda and told him, you are an intelligence officer. You are to do intelligence. You cannot be captured. You cannot commit Harry Carey. You have to gather intelligence. We will be back in a few months. But you have to gather intelligence. 1974. All right. 45, 65, or 55, 65, almost 30 years. A young Japanese explorer by the name of Suzuki wanted to find Hiro Onoda, and he wanted to find the abominable snowman. <laughs> he was on Lubang Island. And in the third day, Hiro Onoda saw this kid and was going to come kill him. Snuck out of the jungle, snuck right up on Suzuki. And Suzuki turned around, and here was Hiro Onoda right there, just like, like vapor, just appeared out of nowhere. And Suzuki spoke Japanese, and of course, Hiro Onoda realized this was a Japanese, and, and uh, he said, the war's over. He said, I don't believe it. He said, well, the war's over. Well, he said, I'm under orders by my commanding officer, and uh, I'm not going to put my gun down until my commanding officer relieves me of my, my orders. And, he, and this little boy, Suzuki, said, well, if I go back to Japan and bring back your commanding officer, will you surrender? He said, yes. Well, he goes back, tells the Japanese government that he's found Hiro Onoda. And they have to look for his old commanding officer, who's now an old man, and he's uh, like a retired, used book salesman. 
So they send this old guy back to the jungle, and there's Hero Onadai. He comes out, they have a, a, a specified day. And this old commanding officer reads the surrender order. And Hero Onadai salutes him, takes his backpack off. He had five grenades, <laughs> 30 years old, 720 rounds of ammunition, 30 years old. His rifle still worked. And he laid his rifle and his backpack down and he cried. He followed his orders. His commanding officer said, you cannot surrender. You cannot commit Harry Carey. For 30 years, he, he lived in those jungles carrying out the orders that his commanding officer gave him. And I thought about that. Boy, we're under orders, aren't we? Almighty God, his son, Jesus Christ, said we're to go into the world, we're to make disciples. We're to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He has not rescinded those orders. They haven't been rescinded. They're still in effect. Right now, as we're sitting here, they're still in effect. Still in effect. And those orders to each and every one of us. It's not just for us to stand here behind a pulpit. No. All of us. We're under those orders. Now, when the Lord comes back, we want him to say, good job. Good and faithful servant. Good job. Hero Onodan, when he went back to Japan, he was treated as a hero. I mean, here was a guy 30 years. He still wore, he still had his uniform. Now, it didn't look like much. Still had his uniform. I don't know what we'll look like when the Lord comes back. We may not look like much either. But you know what? We want to be faithful. We want to carry out those orders. We want to preach the gospel. Why? Because there's power in it. The, the message of Islam doesn't have any power. The message of the Buddhists and the Hindus, it doesn't have any power. The gospel has power. It has power to change lives. It's the power of God unto salvation. Isn't that great? It's the power of God unto salvation. I thank God that he loved me enough to send his son from heaven to this earth to take my sins. That he died in my place. He was buried for my sins. That God raised him up. I thank God that he gave me the ability to have faith. To simply to believe it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why he loves me. I don't understand why he sent his son from heaven to this earth for me. I don't understand it. All I know is he did it. And I just believe it by faith. I just accept it by faith. I don't deserve it. But he loves me. He's forgiven me. And I hope and pray tonight that every one of you here in this room, that your sins are forgiven. That you have invited Christ into your heart, into your life. That you have trusted him as your Savior. And that you're following him as your Lord. That you've made him the Lord of your life. See, when I was 22 years old, it wasn't that I didn't believe in God. I did. I just didn't want him running my life. I want to run it, you know. 
It's kind of like you get in the car, you, you want to drive it yourself. You don't want someone else driving your car. You want to drive it. I wanted to run my own life. But the more I tried, the more I messed things up. Until after a while, my life was in a train wreck, or like a train wreck. And I was just miserable. And there was an emptiness in my life. And the more you try to fill it with things that you think are fun, oh, you can have fun for a while. But then there's that emptiness. And I just got on my knees one night and I said, God, I've sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for me. And if you can take the pieces of my life, okay, just take the pieces of it, somehow kind of put it together, you can have it. I give you my life. And I'll serve you. And I'll follow you for the rest of my life. When I prayed that prayer a minute, and that night, God forgave me. I don't deserve it. But he forgave me. And he'll do that for you if you've never done it. God loves you so much so that he sent his son from heaven to this earth to take your sins. And he died on the cross and shed his blood for you and if you'd been the only person to ever live, guess what? He would have sent his son from heaven to this earth to take your sins. Because he wants you to be with him forever in heaven. Now, we're going to have some storms in life, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, there's going to be some storms. But is he in your boat? Is he in the boat? If he's in your boat, like that elevator, when I told Greta, if, my, if this elevator goes down, I'm going up. I meant it when I said that. I, I wasn't being flippant. I meant it. I thought that thing was getting ready to drop. One of these days, this elevator of mine is going to drop. And when that day comes, I'm going up. And I hope each and every one of you is confident of where you're going to be. And you can say that with assurance. If my elevator goes down, I'm going up. Not because I'm a good guy or a good woman or anything like that. I'm just a sinner that's been saved by God's grace. God bless you and thank you.